Hi, I'm Jordan Shively. Hi, I'm Brock Wilbur. And this is Carrying Into the Void, the podcast where we try to talk to each other about some creepy or weird story that we might have heard during the week and then try to find a silver lining in the darkness that is the abyss of life. Jordan, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How is the abyss of life treating you? The abyss of life is running me ragged, but you know, I think this looks like that's everybody these days, so you can't really complain that much. Or maybe that's like some bullshit masochist viewpoint of life where suffering is good and like maybe we should complain more and then find ways <laughs> to not have to do the things that are making us so miserable. Someday I'll listen to all of our episodes back to back and I feel like every introduction bit will be like, hey, how are you? Busy. Also you? <laughs> Busy. Well, good. That's who we are and that's also our flaw. Let's yeah. move forward. <laughs> and at the end, like the last episode will be like, we quit our jobs. We're walking off into the desert. Who knows? <laughs> this last episode will go as long as these batteries last. <laughs> oh my god. That's so bleak and good and probably right. But the wind starts rising and it's crackling and it's like, oh, the sun's <laughs> setting. Time to sign out. And then like you start humming the theme music. <laughs> and that'll be our I've just foreseen our last episode ever. So I do appreciate how many people reach out to me like I, I didn't know how many other people were workaholics until I listened to this. I was like, is that what we're putting out there? Yeah, it probably is. That sounds about right. So he's got to be careful not to like fall back into the glorification of that. Yeah, let's let's celebrate ourselves and not not diminish our successes, but also not make that a lifestyle. Yeah, silent misery is not a goal. <laughs> you need to shake off the belief that if you're silently miserable, you're winning. Jordan, what do you got for us this week? So today I'm going to talk about a mystery slash urban legend instead of like something that's overtly supernatural. And this one goes by the, the name of Who Put Bella in the Witch Elm? And that's not the name I gave it. That's the name that comes from a graffito in which I found out researching this is a singular for graffiti. I never, I never, <laughs> I never would have said, look at that cool graffito on that building. But apparently one graffiti is a graffito. <laughs> Um, so there was a graffito that first appeared in 1944 following the 1943 discovery of a skeletonized remains of a woman by four children inside of a witch elm in Hagley Wood. And this is W-Y-C-H. It's a type of elm, not an elm that is planted by witches, which is okay. much, much less cool and metal. But still, it's, so it's a witch elm in Hagley Wood. Hagley is located in the estate of Hagley Hall which just sounds like shit's going down there in Worcester, <laughs> in Worcestershire, England. I mean, if there's some like weird occult cult going on, it's going to be at Hagley Hall. <laughs> Up at Hagley Hall, the people are weird. Um, so the victim whose murder was approximated because they had enough hair and DNA still on it to like actually run an autopsy um, was a, said to have occurred in 1941 and has still to this day never been un- identified. But the current location of her skeleton and her autopsy are now unknown. So it was on the April 18th, 1943, four local boys, Robert Hart, Thomas Willits, Bob Farmer, and Fred Payne, were poaching in Hagley Wood, part of the Hagley estate belonging to Lard Coburn near Witcherberry Hill, which I don't know if the witch elm comes from being by Witchberry or if they were named Witchberry because it had so many witch elms. 
I think maybe just the fact that there's like four different witch types in the same area makes it spooky. Yeah. I think it's it's much more probably the case that the hill was named for the tree and not the other way around. <laughs> now that I just think about it out loud, that it's obviously what it was. Um, so they thought this was a good place to hunt for birds' nests, and Farmer was attempting to climb a large tree. When he climbed, he looked down into the hollow of the trunk and discovered a skull. At first, he thought it was that of an animal, but after seeing human hair and teeth, he realized they had found a human skull. Well, they were there illegally poaching, so they put the skull back, and they all went home and didn't say anything to anybody. But the youngest boy, Willits, just could, felt uneasy and told his parents, who, of course, immediately went to the police. Um, so there are a bunch of, a shit ton of theories, actually, that just immediately sprung up over the next couple of years. Everything from a drunken prank gone wrong, where the participants <laughs> were said to have died in an insane asylum, plagued by dreams of a woman staring at him from a witch elm. This one didn't come to light until like 10 years later, like in 1953, when um, the perpetrator had already died, the supposed perpetrator and it was his wife, Una Mossop, who came forward and said that her husband, Jack Mossop, had admitted to putting a woman in the tree after a night of drinking. Um, and then he went to an insane asylum. But also there was a presumed murdered and missing sex worker named Laura Bella, whose name in conjunction with the graffiti would seem to say that someone at least knew the identity of the killer or knew, had been privy to this happening and then started writing graffiti about it. There were also two spy theories, because this was like in the for early 40s, so Germany and World War II was all in, going on. The two theories, one was a paramour German spy duo, and there was another one that was later an occult theory tied to Nazi occultism in a local spy cell. The first spy theory came from an MI5 declassified file about Joseph Jacobs, the last man to have been put to death in the Tower of London. So this is all like becoming this weird web of possibilities that are all around this one hill. Um, he was an Abwehr agent and he parachuted into Cambridgeshire in 1941, but broke his ankle when landing and was quickly arrested by the Home Guard. On his person, they found a photo purportedly of his lover, a German cabaret singer and actress, Clara Barrill. Jacob said that she was being trained as a spy and that if he had made contact, she would have been sent over to England after him under the cover as a cabaret singer. Um, many people have said that that is who is in the tree, Clara. Um, unfortunately, there's no evidence that Clara ever parachuted into England after him. And on top of that, Bella, the skeleton, was five feet tall and several witnesses state that Clara Barrel was six feet tall. It also, <laughs> later, it came to light that she had actually died in Berlin on the 16th of December, 1942, which is a year after this person had died. Later on, there was also a theory put forward in 1945 by Margaret Murray. She was an anthropologist and an archaeologist from the University College of London who proposed a much more crazy theory of witchcraft. She said that because the hand of the skeleton had been found buried farther away from the tree, um, that they were it was a, a hand of glory ritual that was going on in the area and that Bella had been killed by Romani during an occult ritual. Her ideas got all the local press into like a tizzy and the investigators were consulting on all these different ritualistic killings that had happened in the area, especially the ritualistic killing of a Charles Walton 
in the nearby Lower Quinton, which she obviously is crazy. And this was discredited later because her anthropology credentials were discredited and it was shown that she was just making shit up, you know, to make money. Um, (laughs) And also this one really seems to tie into a lot of the alarmist Romani anti-Semitic Semitic rhetoric that was going along around this time. So she was like, ah, it was the Romani Jews. Yeah, let's get everybody crazy. And she's probably getting paid for writing these papers and stuff. Um, so she was basically doing kind of like a BuzzFeed of the day, you know, like <laughs> just write, write, writing some. It was like clickbait. She was she was just doing clickbait of like hand of glory, ritual killings. So none of these stories, though, can can be or ever were collaborated. I mean, that the, the German spy really was there. The sex worker did go missing, um, but there was never any hard case. And then all the evidence that from the skeleton in the autopsy just disappeared whether through misfiling or more nefarious reasons, no one really knows. But the graffiti demanding to know who put Bella in the witchwood still continues to surface to this very day. <laughs> and as and as of now, because that person still could be alive. And the people who witnessed it could still be alive. They'd be very old, but, you know, there's old people. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> But that continues to surface to this very day. And now all we can say about this in any reality is that dark things often happen in the heart of the woods at night. In the trees that were already ancient before we arrived here. The trees that the hills were named after. (laughs) Well, they have very little reason to give up their secrets. So that's like the base story of the legend of who put Bella in the witchwood that people are still trying to ask today. Had you already heard about that one? I've never heard that one, no. So you don't... Which one do you think is the possibility? I I mean, there's better explanations, but I really like for the sake of what this show is. I don't know. It was just like a drunken thing that a drunk person did. And like this many years later, we're like thousands of people are still like, we should try to figure this out. I'm so glad that no one will ever try to figure out anything that I did while drunk. Yeah. Because the drunken one, they they said they said that the person wasn't trying to kill them. It was a prank, and they was like, "Oh, they'll wake up in the tree and be scared right. and be scared," you know. But like, yeah, you don't put someone in the in a tree as a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Greg. You know it's a guy named Greg. Um, it, it, if it's something that a dark wizard would do as a curse, don't do it while you're drunk. That, oh my god, that's a shirt. <laughs> yeah, don't don't drunkenly dark wizard. Um, so since there's no answers here i'm just going to go right into the caring and the void moment from what i got out of this story there will always be those who want to cut you down to a size that doesn't threaten them they will try and silence you to hide your power down deep in the dark hollows of life and for a while they may think that they have one and it might look like the world does not know the darkness that lives inside of the ones who would silence you. But you, you will not be silent. You will make your voice heard. And when the time comes, your words will be taken up by those who have gathered to your call in the darkness. Together, you will take those words that were hidden. You will take those words that so threatened those who thought they were in power. And you will make them tremble. You will make them slink back from the overwhelming and terrible glory 
that will be your rise. In those words that used to only echo from the deep, dark, hidden places where you lay waiting will be on every lip and they will have nowhere to hide. For your words, your words will become their hunters. So rejoice now as you lie waiting. For this knowledge that their downfall is inevitable will nourish you through these long, lonely moments and eventually become a most satisfying feast. The end. <laughs> God, God damn it, Jordan. I'm just so happy to know you. You're such a good boy who does such good work. <laughs> May we always do this thing to make each other happy. I'm just, uh, that was incredible. I like, I li- so I like writing those parts. Yeah. How about you, Brock? What weird, creepy, awesome thing are you going to tell me about this week? Uh, mine is actually about being a workaholic, weirdly. Uh, at the end of college, uh, I had a mental breakdown in the last week before graduation because I was supposed to do the sound on everyone's movie in my graduating film class uh, because I had grown up and run a recording studio and I was the only one that knew how to edit sound and everyone was depending on me to do this uh, and uh, they got all their audio into me. It sounds horrible. Five days before the screening for finals. Uh, So I was just like, I can't sleep for five days. Uh, So I tried to do this uh, and it ended up very poorly for me at the end. Uh, But there is a part where I was in the studio and I'm going to say it's day four uh, and something came up. And in one of uh, the audio classes I'd taken a few years earlier, I'd heard this thing. And the thing that I had heard is that a duck's quack does not echo and no one knows why. There's no explanation for it. Ducks, the, the sound that they make, a duck's quack just does not echo. For some reason, the frequency it is at does not reverberate. It just doesn't happen. Uh, I was like, okay, I don't know when that's going to come up, but that's a, a weird fun <laughs> fact to have. Uh, and in fact, uh, duck's quack doesn't echo is the name of a BBC quiz show that ran in 2014 uh, just for fun weirdo facts, apparently, as I was Googling this today. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So I was in the studio and I'm at a, I'm at a, a, a like a hallucinating breaking point and I'm here at like 4 a.m. Uh, trying to do Pro Tools on a movie I've never seen. I'm doing a terrible job. I know everyone I've ever met hates me. Uh, and it's their fault, but I don't know, I don't know how to deal with that. Uh, and I got to somebody's film and they had a duck that was supposed to be in a room and everyone that was talking, their voices were echoing. So I knew that the duck needed to echo in order for it to make sense. Oh, no. So alone at four in the morning, I threw a digital echo effect onto the duck. And this is something that we've brought up religion uh, before here on the show uh, because we both have passed with it. I have a difficult past with religion where there are songs that I would sing in like middle school or high school or like listen to on my, my headphones that I felt like the devil knew I was listening to them and li- and singing along. Uh, and even though I thought that was kind of silly, maybe I didn't want to go to hell because I was listening to those songs. And that's those songs include like Satan is my motor by cake, which is an ostensibly just a, it's a fun song about a car. Like it just doesn't make any sense, but I had such guilt about it. So there is still a a latent thing in me that sometimes pops up where I'm just like, 
maybe you just don't want to sing along with this word. It's the Christian version of not singing the N-word in rap lyrics. Like, you're like, I don't know. I, I'm i not going to say I love Satan in this song. I'm not going to sing along with Ozzy Osbourne because I think that maybe there's a punishment in the afterlife for it. God seems kind of petty sometimes. Uh, so I'm alone in the studio and I put this reverb onto the duck quacking uh, and I realized that I've made a sound that God did not want to exist. <laughs> uh, and I had the same sort of breakdown as if I had been singing along with every pro Satan song that had ever existed. I'd done something to anger God. Uh, and I had this terrible, this was the start of like, by the next day I was in the hospital. And you still believed in God at this point. I don't think I did, but the latent part of it and just like the sleep deprivation of four days of not having left this room, yeah, um, just being alone in a dark space where I didn't know, I didn't even know what time it was, if it was day or night, I was just working myself insane. Uh, so it was, it's right on that borderline between like, it's very funny and it's never fucking do this. Uh, please have more respect for yourself than this. Don't put yourself into the hospital over this stuff. So it was right on that borderline. So the duck quacking and having an echo has forever been this breaking point for me uh and so i i'd never gone back to look it up and it's been something that i've been i've been waiting to do this episode of the podcast i did look it up yesterday uh and it turns out that that's not a real thing it's not, uh, <laughs> the ducks quack echo thing uh like there's a snopes page about it and here's the explanation the the quack does echo but uh, it's too quiet to hear, uh, and uh, ducks ne- are never near reflecting surfaces. Uh, like, you need a large reflecting surface like a mountain or a building for that sound to reflect off of, and ducks don't hang out near a lot of mountains or buildings, and even if they do, even in that situation, uh, the sound actually fades in and fades out too quickly for the human ear to perceive. So, it, like, technically, sure, it would be impossible in nature to hear this sound, but since then, because it became this thing, people took ducks into labs and set up microphones and were like, all right, well, we're going to hear if they they make an echo when they quack. And uh, the University of Salford in Manchester has this experiment that they did where they borrowed uh, a duck named Daisy from Stockley Farm in Cheshire, and they stuck this duck in a recording studio, and there's so many cute pictures of just a duck with a microphone in front of it in a large empty room. And they were like, yeah, I guess there is an echo there, but it's it's difficult to, to prove. Anyway, their, their footnote on their page is, um, unfortunately, Daisy was later eaten by a fox, but her daughter lives on. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> weird, weird note for uh, a duck quacking in an experiment. And in a different uh, experiment done by Trevor Cox for his book, The Sound Book, The Science of the Sonic Wonders of the World, it included the following passage. An echo is delayed repetition of sound, which for a duck might be caused by a quack reflecting off a cliff. The vampiric cry in the reverberation chamber demonstrated the quack reflects from the surface like every other sound. I was like, the vampiric cry? What the fuck is wrong with you, Trevor? Like, you're doing a book about science, not being on our podcast. (laughs) Uh, So here's my carrying into the void for this. Release your klaxon call into the well and listen for what the world sends back. If it is loud and shakes the very pillars of reality, embrace that. If it is silent, sneaking through the perception of all like a will-o'-the-wisp of whispered secrets, embrace that. The sound is what matters. The reflection is not. 
Whatever form you take is the only form that you can control. The refraction of that is both beyond your control, but also entirely devoid of meaning. Do you echo? The only echo that matters is if all of your great call is aligned with the wants and needs of the universe. If you are built of truth and teeth and intent, your sound will find the purest echo, skipping eternally on the infinite bridge of the great universal tether. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> Quack. <laughs> well played, sir. That was Jordan. What do you have to promote in the world? Oh, I just been nothing new coming out really. I have still have some game stuff I'm writing that I can't talk about yet. So that's eventually I'll have a role playing game book I can talk about. World Jordan has told me what it is, and it is very exciting. So we should all be proud of him. Just just generally be proud of Jordan and send some love his way. <laughs> I'm still selling t-shirts at boydmerch.threadless and you can still find me at hottest singles on the Twitters. So I'm there writing ridiculous things at 3 a.m. in the morning. So <laughs> that's always good. And a lot of just like burning vengeance lately. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's been some shitty stuff in the world that makes you upset at two in the morning. So Twitter's free. So try to stop me from saying it. <laughs> um, so what have you been doing? Anything new? Uh, I'm, I, I, I too am shrouded in secrecy for next steps, but uh, this has been both the best and worst week of my entire life. And uh, I, I just have to say, uh, rather than promote a thing, uh, get meds, be on meds, be on some sort of thing that just helps keep your mood, mood stabilized. Because my biggest thing was never uh, just depression, uh, spiraling up was equally a problem for me. Good things and bad things would put leave me in an equally out of reality place. And just having a little bit of something in your system that keeps you balanced has changed my entire life. And uh, who I was a year ago is not the person I am today. I can deal with things uh, and it took so little effort. Find, find a therapist, find a psychiatrist somewhere and just be like, hey, this is what I need. And honestly, I, I don't know if I would be here without it. So it, it feels good to have successes and to not let those successes destroy my life. Uh, so that's, that's what I have to promote. Um, promote yourself. Just, just at me next time, dude. I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You do the sign off then. <laughs> um, so this has been another episode of Caring into the Void, and we'd like to remind you to keep your teeth sharp and many and your hearts dark and true. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Bye.